listener production. On today's edition of Footy Talk, my great mate Rui joins me and we discuss last night's game between Melbourne and Richmond and what the fallout means for the Tigers. We preview the big Anzac Day game between Collingwood and Essendon and I ask Rui about chasing flags in the last couple of years of a player's career. That's all to come on today's edition of Footy Talk. Are you all listening to today's edition of Footy Talk on this Anzac Day, the 25th of April? And as always, I'm joined by Nick Rewalt from all the way in the States. Good morning to you, Nick. Nice to have you on the show. Anzac Day, if we get straight into it, one of the biggest days on the footy calendar, always special. Not only because we commemorate and remember those that have served and those that are serving, but also what uh, we get from a football perspective on the field with these two clubs, Collingwood Essendon. And it's the first time since 2000 that these two sides are sitting inside the top four. It's going to be a cracking day. Oh, absolutely, Joey. One of the great days on the footy calendar. Well, one of the great days in the uh, in the life of Australians, the Australian calendar, um, Anzac Day. Uh, very privileged to be talking to you, a um, an Anzac Day medalist. I heard you drop in last week. Just just drop that in yourself, did you? No, I didn't drop that in <laughs> at all. That was um, bought up. I think it was on the midweek rub. Um, and Daisy made it. I really liked his comment. Actually, the Anzac Day medal, of course, was when we played three games over in New Zealand on Anzac Day and. I won it against Brisbane, and then Dale Thomas said, no disrespect, but that's like winning a Commonwealth medal <laughs> instead of a gold medal. Uh, and I was probably thought, that's probably fair. There was something special, though, about playing an Anzac Day game in New Zealand. I mean, the NZ yeah. in Anzac is, is obviously New Zealand and, and very, very significant, the contribution that we uh, we made together on where the global stage. So um, that day were, uh, they were pretty special days. So well done to you, Joey. Great on it. Oh, thank you, Nick. No, it was nice to connect with the, the New Zealand um, sentiment around Anzac Day. You're right. We have a, a strong bond with New Zealand and it was nice to represent the, the AFL over there for a few Anzac games. Didn't really last too long, just like the China experiment and all those things, but that's okay. That's for a, another time. And we'll get into that game shortly, but I want the Anzac, first of all, last night's footy Anzac Day Eve game, which is almost becoming just as big of an event. The, the night time, I'll get your thoughts on that in a minute, but in front of nearly 84,000, which was Melbourne's biggest home crowd since 1964, they saw the Demons have to do it the hard way. They were under the pump early against the plucky Richmond side, but in the end, they won by 18 points. Uh, Jack Viney won the medal. He was the best on ground, and I thought it was a clear, for me, a standout. He was superb. Young Jacob Van Royen, who really hadn't had a touch for three quarters, kicked three goals in the fourth quarter. Uh, Maxi Gorn, it was great to see him back. He had a huge, huge influence, but... In the end, Richmond, they're really struggling now. Really just the one win and one draw from six games. But it was a great performance by them. They, they had a real red-hot crack. They had a really strong game plan to try and beat Melbourne. Unfortunately, just with some youth, they weren't able to sustain it. And Melbourne, like the side they are and, and where they're at with their journey, were able just to play their brand for longer, for harder. And in the end, got the win they deserved. Yeah, so are they struggling, the Tigers? Or are they playing at the level that we really, realistically should expect of them, given the, the fact that you mentioned, you know, eight guys of little or, or no experience in that lineup, injuries to, to key players, and coming up against a Melbourne side that we all expect to be there at the end of the season. I mean, first half, they're playing a style that really served it up to the Demons. They weren't playing into their hands. They weren't blasting the footy, and um, they looked in control of it. When teams can do it better for longer... That, that really just comes down to, to, to the experience of the group and being able to play to yep. the last minute, which is what the great teams do and it's what the great teams practice 
regardless of scoreboard, regardless of the situation, because you, you know, come the big games at the end of the year, that's what it's going to take. So, um, I thought it was, I thought it was a brave performance by Richmond and a professional performance by the D's. Yeah, you talk about Richmond, and I thought they they played really well and some strong football. And yes, they are transitioning. We spoke about that last week on the show that the eight or nine guys that are young, and they're probably not quite getting top shelf very best from their superstars, which you need when you've got a lot of young players. So you know, Dion Prestia just slightly off. Shea Bolton hasn't been at his levels of last year. I think you know Jack Rewalt's been one that that has been super, but even sort of Dylan Grimes not quite at his you know um, be, very very best. So that just makes it. A little bit hard, but when you do a quick little deep dive, you see them sitting at 16th, as I said, with one win and one draw. But all six of their games have been against what we now call the top 11. There's a bit of a gap starting to form in the ladder. They haven't played any of the bottom seven teams yet that uh, that, that some of the other sides have had. So they've got a bit of a, a softer draw coming up over the next four to five weeks. They'll get a few troops back. Uh, which they're going to need, but they've left. Uh, uh, it's going to be a tough run yeah. for Richmond to try and squeeze into well, the, the but final. But I now. think that you know that is something that wouldn't scare them if they weren't sort of playing um, football that's not as resemblance of uh, not as similar as resemblances to what they did in their premiership years. But you remember 2017? They, I mean, they left their run really, really late outside of the year where they lost to Collingwood in that famous prelim. They haven't really exploded out of the blocks, the Tigers. So we've got. To, I don't think they're the top four side that we've we've seen or even thought they might be capable of recapturing this year. But I would expect them to sort of consolidate with some wins and and work their way up the ladder as the season progresses. Yeah, this this won't be their year, but they are building for the next few years to come, getting some games into these younger players. Noah Cumberland was one of those, kicked three goals in the first quarter. Looked like he was going to set the game alight. And then how's the respect, really? They had Michael Hibbard playing on Dusty, and at quarter time, the move was made. They said to the pig Hibbard, you need to (laughs) shut down the most dangerous forward on the ground. And he kept Noah Cumberland to, I think, about two or three touches for the rest of the game. And Michael Hibbard himself went on to get 20. So uh, a little sign of respect. How pumped pumped do you reckon he was when that message came out? Michael Hibbert. Oh, yeah. Man. To go and swap me? from Dusty to go and play on Cumberland, he would have been off. Thank yeah, you oh, very oh, much. Oh. <laughs> he would have been ecstatic. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but uh, no, Melbourne, they, they got the job done and uh, they set themselves up pretty nicely. They'll finish the weekend in third spot, four and two. And uh, I think we all agree they'll be a top four team and we'll be thereabouts again. Hey, what did you make of the, the spectacle? It is always. A feature now, the nighttime Anzac Eve, the ceremonies, the lights go out and, you know, you're in this space now uh, with the stadiums, lights going out, the the way how spectacular it looks, you can do all these different things. Are we pitching for a night grand final AFL-wise? Because that's been some of the noise. Where do you think it's going to land and how much of a, an impact do you think it'll be having a grand final, whether it's twilight or at night? Yeah, well, I think there's there's beauty in both, isn't there? So clearly last night under lights and, the, you know, the lighting up of phones and the the, the, the application of, of technology seems to be much more amenable to a night game or at least a twilight game. And, you know, the... the um, the impact of the of, of the flame and all of those sort of things, you know, at night, I think it contrasts really well. But then you you flip forward to today's game and the the, the you know just the the t- traditional nature of, of Anzac Day being played during the day and and the the grand final being played during the day. I think there's you know, there, there's there's beauty in both, and it's always going to be in the eye of the beholder. So look, I'm a traditionalist in in that sense. I like the uh, I like the sort of two thirty, three o'clock grand final start. Same with Anzac Day. Um, and as a as a punter now, um, being able to go along to the footy or, or do those things, you've got you know there is something to be said 
for having having the night after such a big event to be able to digest it uh, as a as a fan or as a as a consumer. So yeah, look, I, I don't think you want to mess with it off the back of sort of one spectacle last night. Where are you? I'm a bit more progressive. I reckon the twilight slot would be perfect. A 4.30 start, first half in the daytime, as you said, the traditional. And then you come out at night after the halftime break. You can have some you know, really cool stuff at halftime and then finish the game under lights, I think, would look spectacular. You've still got from 8.30 onwards to soak in uh, the, the post-game stuff. But that's where I sit. And I think it lean, looks like it's going to lean that way, despite a lot of people thinking the same lines as yourself. You talk about... Today's game then, the Magpies and the Bombers. Um, some changes that are important. Collingwood have got three big outs. Dan McStay, who's been playing a bit of a vital role as a deep forward, second ruck. Nathan Murphy, who we both rate as a defender, out with the concussion. And Taylor Adams suspended. But they do get back Jordan Dugowie. And Kruger is going to play his first game of the year, which I think structurally is important because it allows Billy Frampton just to probably settle more as the second tour with Darcy Moore. Essendon, really, they've been really impressive the first five weeks, but a bit like St Kilda, uh, they've got their biggest test to date. And do you think they can not necessarily even have to win, but go right to the death with Collingwood and show that they are a top eight contender for real this year? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's it, isn't it? So St Kilda were faced with a, with a similar challenge a couple of weeks ago, and and that was the same narrative coming in. It was it was okay. They've been really impressive, but let's put them up against one of the yardsticks of the competition and and measure them against that. I think St Kilda acquitted themselves really well, and Collingwood showed what a, what a, what an impressive outfit they are. So, you know, the challenge is there for the Bombers. Um, th- this is the sort of game where you can lose but still go forward as a group, and I think that's exactly the way Brad Scott would be approaching it with his group. Um, but their, their best footy has been great. Their, their buy-in defensively is, you know, what their their turnaround has been been all about. So what better way to, to put that to the test and 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 actually be able to feed off because we know yeah that the, the the momentum within games and that the noise of the crowd and the the affirmation of the crowd that that drives defensive effort more than offensive effort to another level so i think um i think it's set up beautifully for the bombers to 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 really serve it up to Collingwood. I still expect Collingwood to get the job done, but only just. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think Collingwood, you know, will handle the occasion. I'm fascinated just to see how Essendon handle the occasion because as you touched on, a big crowd, all footy world eyes on this game. How much do they believe in that system that Brad Scott's got? Because Collingwood, you know, are going to challenge it. They're going to smack them in the mouth and they're going to play the way they do. So can Essendon just absorb it and say, we're trusting what we've been doing this year? Or do they get a little bit overawed, a little bit panicky by by the the, um, the the environment and the setup and the way the pies play and um, and maybe fold? So that's what we want to see. I hope they're up for the fight. Yeah, I expect them to be the bombers. There's no reason why they won't. But um, yeah, I'm a bit with you. I think Collingwood are made for this sort of occasion. Um, Jordan DeGowie back. I reckon he's a huge one. Their senior players are all in form. And remember, Jack Ginevan, he won the Anzac medal last year with the five goals. So he's going to be playing as well. And he is a kid that loves the big occasion. And Nick Dacos, always a talking point every time Collingwood play at the moment. This was always the game, wasn't it? While, while we were still playing, where you, you might be at training during the week, depending on what, what day, Anzac Day, fell. And you'd, you'd do your morning session, you'd come in, you'd have some lunch. And then the build-up was starting to happen and you're watching it on TV. And as, as much as, you know, Collingwood or Essendon might have been struggling or flying at any given point in a season. This was always the one you were like, gee, I'd love to play for one of these clubs today. You just just the yeah. opportunity to go out. It is it is such a such a special occasion and one that all players are ex- extraordinarily jealous of. So 
Well done to both clubs for making it such a big event. Right, so put it on the line. What's your tip, your margin, and who will win the Anzac Day medal? Yep, I've got uh, Collingwood by 16 points, and Degoe straight back in and wins the medal. Oh, I like it. I like it. I'm going Collingwood by 21 points, and I reckon it'll be Dacos to win the medal, but not Nick. It'll be Josh Dacos. He'll have 30 touches, kick oh, a couple of goals on little, the wing. little and, plot twist there, Joey. Yeah, did you like that? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with Josh Dacos to win the medal for the best on ground today in Anzac Day. Can't wait. Hey, Rue, we will take a little break, and then after we will play our segment, Real Talk, Shit Talk. We're getting good traction on that. Yeah. Apparently, everyone is loving that. That's up next. You're listening to Footy Talk. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Listener, please hit the like button or leave us a rating or a review. And new episodes are every day at lunchtime. You're listening to Footy Talk. If you have a question for us or hit us up on Instagram at footytalk underscore pod or on TikTok at footytalkpod. Of course, uh, looking forward to the game today, Anzac Day, Collingwood Essendon. But we're going to play a little bit of real talk, shit talk, really, just some of the other news that's been floating around and, and making headlines and getting off the fence and either saying it's real or it is crap. First one for you. St Kilda now will definitely play finals. I think that's real, Joey. I've been reluctant to sort of go out and uh, and say that. But at 5 one, one, I mean, it's all there for them. But it's, it's, it's more about their way they're playing. It's hard to see them not being able to win enough games given what they're putting on the park. They're, they're the best defensive team in the competition at the moment statistically. So their ability to restrict score, I don't think is really um, based on, on personnel. It's based on system. So yeah, well well, well done to Ross Lyon and, and the, the coaching staff down there because they're playing a style that, that clearly stacks up and he, he's got the, the complete buy-in from the playing group. So it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing the turnaround down there. Uh, one for you, Joey. Uh, Gil McLaughlin, every week that goes by just looks more and more likely that he's going to go the John Farnham retirement route and it'll actually never happen. Will Gil McLaughlin stay on as AFL CEO? No, that's shit talk. No, he won't. No, I know there's been a little bit of noise and normally when Eddie says something, we all, you know, our ears stand up because Ed's normally got, uh, got his, uh, you know, his radar pretty good. But I think that Andrew Dillon will be the succeeder and, and will take over as the CEO. It's taken a long time. That's probably generated a little bit of other noise, you know, some other names getting thrown up late, but no, it won't happen. I think that as much as everyone would love for him to stay on, he's committed to leaving. It's been announced. They've had the gone through the whole process, so it won't happen, um, but it's creating a bit of chat anyway. Hey, Rui, I want to ask about Harry Mackay. There's been a lot of talk about his goal kicking and, uh, and at the moment he's kicked nine goals from 23 shots. Mentally, he looks a little bit cooked. I'm not sure where I'm going with the real talk, shit talk, but should he get outside help with his goal kicking? Uh, I'm going to go with shit talk because I assume you mean by outside help, you mean outside of the the Carlton Football Club. Carlton have invested a lot. Yeah, I, I think there would be enough internally or at least bring someone into the fold that becomes part of that inner sanctum because... It's it's 100% mental because I can promise you if we ask the Carlton Football Club how he goes at training, they would say he, does, he doesn't miss. And I experienced similar patches throughout my career where, where I really struggled and, and the mental burden started to, to, to sort of overwhelm. Going going external and, and sort of seeking it 
everywhere you can, I don't think is necessarily the best thing because it can become self, self-fulfilling. self the, the one thing that really helped me was I always felt like I was a really good field kick, was just tried to adapt my style to replicate my field kicking um, rather than just getting caught in this robotic, technical goal kicking action. And, and that was probably later in my career that the thing that really helped me turn that around. So um, in his head, 100% in his head, he's got the yips, but I wouldn't be going too far and wide. Did you ever shy from wanting to have shots at goal when it got to the point where you're like, oh, geez, I want to have a huge influence, but I'm not really, I don't really want to be standing 25 meters out straight in front. Uh, not really, because if you ever notice the way I reacted when you didn't kick it to me, Joey, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that was a pretty dead giveaway that I always wanted the football, but yeah. then the level of confidence when you've actually won it and you're lining up, that that's, that's a different matter. And yeah, that fluctuated absolutely at, at, uh, so it's mental for Harry. So it's mental. Yep. I reckon he's got some flaws within his technique. Um, I don't think yep. everything's aligned, but mental part of his, it, it, mental part of it is a huge, huge part. Hey, um, a, a bloke that's very comfortable in front of the sticks is Jeremy Cameron. Jeremy is going to kick a hundred goals this year, Joey. He's on track. No, that that's, that's shit talk. I know it would be great. It's a fairy tale and everyone would like to see it happen, but I think a hundred is a stretch at the moment. I think that, once we get yep. through the winter months and the season wears on and does he play every game and it's going to get a little bit more challenging. I don't think a hundred uh, is going to get there. I think he'll kick 80 somewhere around yeah. that mark, which is going to be a fair effort. I think we've only had 80 goals kicked once in about the last 15 years. Wouldn't it nice to be but, say a Coleman winner kick more than 60 goals? It'd be great. Yeah, that's right. Which we will get this year, yeah. um, but maybe a hundred's just a bit too far of a stretch. He is almost on track, but at the rate that he's playing, I mean, I don't think he continue at this rate. It is phenomenal. He's having five, really, kicking five and getting 20 touches, and we're just going, yeah, that's just another Jeremy Cameron game. Like, it's ridiculous at the moment. It's a bit like Gary Ablett Jr. When he was going through a stage where he was getting 38 and kicking two, and everyone was trying to, eh, it's not bad by Gaz. You know, that's just normal. (laughs) It's like, no, this is at a level that's ridiculous. Jeremy Cameron is playing at that level at the moment, but it'll come off to some extent. He'll still have an unbelievable year, but not quite 100. Would he be leading the Brownlow right now? Uh... Yes, if the umpires give three votes in losing games, he's had a couple of best on grounds in losing performances. So if, if they do, he'll be up there right at the moment. For okay. Sure. Hey, just one that's been floating around. Um, there's a bit of talk about Nat Fife and about whether he should leave Fremantle and go to another club. This isn't specifically about Nat Fife, but players in the twilight of their career that haven't won a premiership, should they go and chase a flag in their final two years? Real talk, shit talk. Yeah, real, real. Um Depending on the fortunes of your football club and what you've achieved there, and um, I, I, th- I think it, I, I think, given the time again, it's probably something that all all older players would would consider really strongly. The difficulty in it is that how do you pick the market? I mean, it's it's like well, that's right. How do you pick the market? But but I, but I think if if you've got a decent enough. Um, reading on so say I, I don't think Melbourne are dropping away significantly anytime soon, do you? Like I think if nah, you if you were not. to no, they're say so if if it's if it's about giving yourself the best chance and that's absolutely one hundred percent how you define your own career, then yeah, uh, go go for it. I mean I, I take pride in the fact that I was a I was a one club player, but it was it was something that I entertained strongly. What about you towards the end of your career? No, I, I actually disagree with you on that one. I think that it would mean more 
for someone like a Nat Fife or these players to see out their career at their own club? Because if you leave your club and you've been a champion and then you you go missing for your last two years to another club and you don't win it, where does your legacy sort of land a little bit there? It's a bit like, well, yeah. you jump ship late to try and win. Like for every Brian Lake that you know moves clubs at 30 yep. and wins three flags, there, there's not many others that have that sort of success. No, you're right. Someone, especially, you know, if it's someone, a club that – is around the mark and you're not pushed. You know, there it seemed like some Hawthorne players, et cetera, have been pushed or um, others in the past. But if it's someone like um, Nat Fife and Fremantle, if you stick fat for two more years and what it would mean to win one and be the first, you know, first team Fremantle team to win it, I think someone like him should stay, see it out and give it a crack, yeah. That's what I mean. That that's what I mean though, Joey. That's what I mean. It depends on the fortunes of your own club. Like if you're if you're if you know yeah. Todd Goldstein three or four years ago was one that I was flab I was flabbergasted yeah. that he didn't that he didn't leave. Because it was clear that North Melbourne were at least five plus years away from from even looking like contending again. So I, I think depending on your on your situation, I mean I think Fremantle, they're capable in, in the what's happening in the moment in the next two to yep, three years of spiking and, and he could be a part of that so there are there are mitigating circumstances Joey. certainly are Rui and uh very good by you I think that'll do us today we've got to get to the MCG uh we've got a big game to watch this afternoon so Gosh. can't wait for that one always enjoy spending time with you on this Tuesday hope you enjoyed today's edition of footy talk remember hit us up on Instagram or TikTok tomorrow Abby Holmes will be with Jude Bolton thanks for listening to today's edition of footy talk Listener.